listening to episode 43, chapter 4 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today, we're continuing our conversation with Jenny Abel, co-author of Shaped by Suffering. Jenny Abel is an editor and writer for Reflections Ministries and Omnibus Media Ministries. She's co-authored the book, A Guide to Practicing God's Presence, as well as the book, Shaped by Suffering with Kenneth Boa. She has over 15 years of experience in editing, writing, and communications. She currently lives in Charlottesville, Virginia. When the Christians living in Thessalonica experienced the loss of their friends and family members, the Apostle Paul reminded them that their grief was not like the grief of the rest of the world who have no hope. For the Christian, hope changes everything. It gives us an eternal perspective. It lets us find meaning and transformation in the midst of suffering and great pain. And it joins us with our Savior, who suffered a death far worse than many of us will ever taste. Hope is a powerful part of a lifestyle of discipleship in this way, because it gives meaning to the everyday moments of life when everything appears to be falling apart. In this chapter, Jenny unpacks the way hope changes us, and that, because of hope, we no longer need to live as victims of suffering. Instead, we can learn to live a life of transformation and discipleship, no matter what comes up against us. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by hope, um, because I, I found that really fascinating how you differentiate the difference between uh, Christian hope and then what you guys call like the secular hope, the, the different hopes of, of different religions and then like of world philosophies that they put forth as a sort of our hope. Well, I mean, I think some of us, you know, we, we throw the word hope around and we kind of use it more as a, a I hope this will happen. I, it's like a wishful thinking word. And I think in the Christian life, um, and in particular in the book of First Peter, um, the hope we're talking about is something that's more solid than that. It's not something that's just may or may not happen. Um, it's not elusive. It's something that's been promised. And um, I'm just going to read First Peter 1, 3. Um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead um, and, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So this living hope, um, we talk about this in the book a bit, um, is contrasted, I think, with the dead hopes that we can put our hopes in in the here and now. And I think the dead hopes, they aren't necessarily bad things. They're, you know, having, desiring or hoping for something like a, a comfortable life or a spouse or children or, you know, success of some type. Um, those hopes are not necessarily wrong, but they're going to eventually fail you. Um, you might eventually get married and suddenly you realize marriage isn't all, you know, was hard it's not necessarily an easy thing and then you might be successful and you think you've reached the pinnacle of success and and suddenly you still feel empty and so um we in the book talk about just living hope versus dead hope um, another thing that we talk about is the idea of hoping for something versus hoping in something mm -hmm. um and i think um i don't want to harp on my story too much but for me particularly 
I, I came to realize the hope for a child was okay. Um, but there, there's a, another verse in the Bible that talks about um, setting your hope fully on Christ and on his grace. Um, and so we really, we cannot hope in the things of this world that are not necessarily guaranteed to us. Um, the only thing that we really should put our full hope in and lean the full weight of, of our expectations and our dreams and our longings on are something that is solid and lasting and sure, which First Peter, you know, the resurrection of Christ and his promise to us that we will um, be resurrected as well. How can we prepare to suffer well? If all of this stuff is inevitable, this is the way, um, you know, this is the way the the world is with its sinful condition, what can we do as Christians to prepare well for what's inevitable? I think, um, you know, preparation for suffering, I think it can be something that is just part of our everyday patterns. I don't necessarily know that, um, you know, before I went through my trial, I don't think I necessarily realized that I was preparing for some big trial. And some of us are never going to have like that one big thing. We might just have little trials or whatever. But um, I think the daily patterns of being in his word and prayer and then fellowship with others, you know, are three of the most important ways that we prepare to have the right perspective of suffering, um, that we kind of keep ourselves setting our minds on things of God versus the things of this world. Um, I think, you know, first Peter, the answer that he would give would be um, looking to Christ's example. Um, I think we frequently look at maybe other Christians' lives and think, well, they have it all together. Everything looks like it's going great for them. Um, I think the best thing we can do so that we will suffer well and, and so that we're not taken off guard by suffering is that we look to Christ and how he lived and what did he go through? Um, you know, Christ, Christ was sinless and he never did a single thing wrong and yet he still had suffering in his life. And so if he didn't escape, surely we're not going to escape either because we, we also, you know, do things, shoot ourselves in the foot and suffer because of our own, you know, self-inflicted wounds basically. But, um, first Peter talks about, you know, arming ourselves with the same attitude he had. Um, so just following in his steps, I think meditating on his life and looking in scripture. I, I loved reading the gospels more than anything when I was in a difficult period. I think I almost, um, kind of fell in love with Christ all over again when when I started doing that because I realized just how beautiful his life was and the fact that people would retaliate against him and, or people would, you know, uh, harshly treat him and, you know, he was not retaliating and just watching his life and how he lived, I think that is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing we can do. Yeah, I think we underestimate that as a response to suffering. Um, so much our, our our immediate response is obviously to say, you know, woe is me, why is this happening? And I think those are natural responses that we are all going to uh, have at some point or another. But Or to kick against it really hard and try to fight this problem yeah. and be violent about it. Exactly. But um, it, it does, it presents that incredible opportunity to fall in love with Jesus all over again, to, to rediscover who we are as a child of God. And, um, it, you know, that's not an easy thing to, um, uh, 
to do. Like so, so sometimes we're forced into that as sort of a last ditch effort. But I think I think that's kind of what I'm hearing you say as well. Um, as far as like the, to answer that question of how do we prepare, is we need to sort of set a foundation in our lives so that that becomes our initial response. And so we understand enough about God's word and we understand enough about our relationship in Christ that when we are thrust into these situations, that he becomes our our hideaway as fast as possible, that we run, that we retreat to him to find our refuge and and our strength in him, Um, which I think is such an important important understated thing that we talk we, we don't really talk about in in our churches i mean like it, I, I guess maybe we sort of give like a band-aid answer to that right of like or maybe i'll pray for you or you know jesus is your answer but but to really understand that so i, I thank you for your story of uh, and saying that the sense of unfairness when we're suffering it can be kind of um all-consuming sometimes where we, we just focus so much on, well, why am I going through this? And, and sort of this victim mentality, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, Christ himself never deserved to suffer. And so I think when I realized, when I looked at that, I thought he never deserved to suffer. I certainly deserve to suffer because I, I'm a sinful human being, but he didn't. And yet he went through what he went through. And I think that that kind of helped me to stop focusing so much on, on myself and on, um, you know, well, why should I have to go through this? I think it helped me see that God does use suffering. He He perfected His own Son through suffering. So um, I don't totally understand that. I think you know we we can give answers to that that sound right, but I think it's it's sort of mysterious to some degree why why the Son of God Himself had to suffer. But I think there is this sense of fellowship with Him. Um, you know when when I was going through what I was going through, and I think others that I know who have suffered, that sense of knowing that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and who knows what we're going through and is right there with us, um, that is more powerful to me than almost any other kind of encouragement that I could have received. That's so true. I had a really great kind of like light bulb moment. Um, I don't remember what class it was. It was in some class. I was sitting, uh, sitting there, just listening and the the professor was reading the the passage that Christ were, that says yeah Christ learned obedience from what he suffered and for some reason I, I mean I've read that passage dozens of times but for some reason that time it struck me because we get so caught up in thinking that Jesus is so different than us I mean like he was fully God, and so, of course, he should be able to to handle these temptations. He should be able to go his entire life and not sin, because he's God, right? But in doing so, I think we miss the fact that he really did become man, along with a lot of the the weaknesses and frailties that humans have. And the fact that Christ learned obedience from what he suffered meant that, yeah, like you're saying, God was using that suffering to, in a sense, shape and, and prepare Jesus for what he was going to, to go through. Just tagging along with that, I was just going to say, you know, look at Gethsemane, you know, Christ three times. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, please, if, if you can take this away. I mean, he, he's, he didn't want to suffer. So I think we see his humanity in that, that he didn't want to go through what he was going through on a human level, but he knew he needed to go through it. And that, you know, 
he, he didn't want to go through it as long as it was within the father's will, but because it was the father's will, he was willing to go through it. And I think that's, I mean, that is a very difficult thing to come to say that in your own life, you know, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And yet I think that's, that's where we see his example. And that's where um, I think we do have to be obedient and, and say those words, even though sometimes we don't mean them. And it's almost like God um, over time helps us to, to obey them. Yeah. I love that too, because, you know, you, you talk about, you have a whole chapter in the book about, you know, imitating um, the sufferings of Jesus in the way that he was, uh, you know, sinless, silent, and uh, his sacrifice was uh, provided as a substitutionary uh, atonement, but but how all of that life was submissive. And then it connects so well then with this idea, to, to go back to sort of what initially got us off on this vein, was this idea that you talked about that we're not, we're not victims. Um, we should be careful not to look at ourselves as victims when it comes to suffering, but we can be active agents in the world still. And I think that's important. That's an important point to sort of uh, put a different perspective on what it means to suffer and, and to go through our suffering. Can you tell us a little bit then about, like, what is it about our agency that we still have intact and why we shouldn't look at ourselves just as victims, but that we still have uh, a, a role to play in life even when we're suffering? Yeah, and I think, I mean, we're not advocating that if, if somebody is in the middle of, of something that's like abuse or, you know, truly a victim of something that obviously we're not advocating that they don't do something about that, you know, take yeah. legal help or whatever. Um, but I think this is just, you know, another acknowledgement of the fact that um, that God is in control and that he has authority over all things. And, and that's, you know, that's at the end of Matthew that he's been given all authority. So even, even the things that are difficult in our lives that, that seem to be the result of evil human beings, those, those things are still within his control. Um, and so realizing that everything that comes to us is filtered through his grace and filtered through his sovereignty, I think is, a comforting thing that he's he's not going to allow something in my life um, that he is not um, well, something's not going to come into my life that he has not allowed. Um, so in that sense, um, knowing that he's our advocate and that he is for us and that he's not against us, I think that gives us a sense of agency even in the midst of trials. I think sometimes when we're suffering, we kind of think, well, because I'm going through this difficulty. Um, you know, I kind of get a pass on obeying God, or I don't have to do quite as much because I'm going through this difficult time. And I think um, one of the parts of our book is basically talking about like, no, it's it's right in the middle of the context of adversity, which really, we're always surrounded by adversity. So it's never, it's not like we're ever living lives where, where this is not part of our life. But even when we're in the middle of really bad conditions, I think we're still called to obedience and still called to submit to him and to his authority. And so um, I think in that sense, we're active, we're agents, we're not just, we don't just need to lie down and, and say, oh, I'm, I'm defeated. Um, because I think, you know, he's, he's defeated the enemy in an ultimate sense. And I think he also, he's also completely in control of that now and the here and now. Yeah, I love it. Our suffering is not an excuse to sort of uh, uh, roll over, which I, I think is what that victim mentality does to a lot of us. Um, you know, I, at least and I struggle with that myself through my own uh, 
uh, story is, you know, you, you do kind of get into that. But I would like to underscore if you there are certain people that are genuinely victims or, you know, dealing with certain situations and, and because but I think that th- this idea of agency does allow you it empowers you to go and to take action and seek justice in those situations where where you are able to seek justice. And so um, uh, you should definitely exercise that agency and, and, and do so. There's no reason to continue to enable the cause of your suffering. Correct. As, as in, don't, don't stay in your abusive relationship just because your abuser would think less of you or somehow your abuser is, I don't know. Yeah. If it's caused by sin, stop enabling that sin to continue right. to be. Right. You know, prolific and, and, you know, propagated in your life. So absolutely. Um, uh, Final question is, final questions maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Who would you say this book is for? Is this book for somebody who's in the midst of suffering? Um, Should somebody read that who is trying to prepare to help somebody uh, go through suffering? Or is it really something we should read um, before we get suffering? I, I just want to hear what your opinion is or take on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a book for for every believer at any stage. And I think it's, you know, interesting. I think people who are in the middle of suffering tend to gravitate toward a book on suffering. Maybe this will help me out. Um, Honestly, I would love for people who are not right in the middle of some very big, difficult suffering um, spell to read this because I think that's the time to start preparing and to to cultivate that perspective so that when suffering does come, you're not taken off guard, um, that you're not, as Peter says, you know, surprised by this fiery ordeal that comes upon you. And, and I think too, you know, for me, I think, and I think a lot of people experience this, that sometimes when you're in the middle of suffering, um, the people who are on the outside of that suffering, the things they say are not necessarily the most helpful things. And Mm -hmm. They don't encourage you in the way that, you know, they may have right intentions, but maybe they're a little bit more like Job's counselors, you know, they're, they're saying right things, but it's really not the right time or the right way to be saying them. Um, so I think this book could be a help to somebody who just wants to minister to others that are suffering, because I think it sort of lifts your, lifts your sights on how are we to view suffering, you know, instead of going into somebody's life and saying, you're suffering here, I have a solution for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to say, look, you know, God is going to use this and and let's look at his promises. Let's look at the hope that he's given. I think, you know, you, you always have to use discernment and, and wisdom about when and how you say things to people who are in the middle of suffering. But I think this book could help a lot of different people to know how to um, minister and speak and encourage better. Yeah. And I think, um, I think giving them a perspective for what God is doing through suffering, like if you're somebody and you have somebody in your life that, you know, you know is going through a hard time, it it's not necessarily always your responsibility to go and tell them all the stuff. Sometimes it's just being there and understanding that God can and, and is using that situation somehow to um, to grow that person. And so be there in whatever way they need in order to you know, be a friend that supports and pushes them towards Christ. And uh, I see, I think that's one of the most important things that could come out of uh, really grasping the perspective that you guys have got in your book. So yeah, I definitely want to to echo that. Um, I definitely think this is a book that you shouldn't wait until you're suffering to pick up. 
uh, because it is such an important perspective to get uh, before you get into that uh, circumstance because, man, you're going to build such a much stronger foundation for when you're in those uh, trials and circumstances that um, you'll be able to lean on Christ and, and seek him even deeper after having read this book. And so, I, I, yeah, please go and read it, even if you're not in the midst of suffering. Um, with that said, Jenny, where can people go to uh, get a copy of this book and find out more about your and Ken's work? Um, KenBoa.org uh, is where most of our stuff is and where you can buy a copy of the book. Obviously, it's also available from University Press, who uh, published it, and Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, various places. It's I think in ebook, audiobook, and print book form. So great. And we will have links to everything in the show notes. So you guys can go to the show notes and click on those links and head on over to kenboa.com and uh, pick up a copy of the book as well. Uh, Jenny, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast with us today and uh, just being willing to share your story and being vulnerable and, and, and honest about it. I think it's going to help impact uh, many, many people. So I thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. When suffering, it's easy to want to throw up our hands in defeat and abandon everything we know to be true. But when we cultivate an internal perspective and realize that Christ is walking with us through the storm, we are empowered to walk through suffering with agency. We recognize that we are not victims who must suffer silently or alone, but that we can suffer well and seek God more passionately in every circumstance. Our faith does not rest on how well life is going for us or whether we feel like following Christ. So I want to challenge you to embrace your agency and create a lifestyle of discipleship. Make walking with Jesus an active part of your life so that when the storms of suffering come, you will be able to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and walk with him through any circumstance. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Jenny's work with Ken Boa, check out kenboa.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where we review some of the key things we've taken from our conversation with Jenny. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.